Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Tapping the Flow. Uh, it is such a pleasure to have you here again as we dive into the minds of creative people. Um, it's funny when I say episode 7, as I said on the last week's one, I thought I'd be a lot further along into this and I know that there are many people who put them out on quite a regular basis and I do aim to be one of those people. But, you know, the flow is stronger now, I have to say, and I've just the more I speak to people, the more empowered I feel about being creative in this sort of covidified world. You know, here we are in the middle of January and it's, uh, you know, last year's pandemic is still strong and still ongoing, you know, but I know that there's a lot of creative people out there with a story to tell. And I'd like to point out that this is a podcast for everybody, you know, it's not just for your super duper amazing songwriters have been incredibly successful and all that sort of stuff it's also for the indie lo-fi brigade and those of us who are surviving and spreading music amongst everybody coffee shops whatever you know your pubs um and this one is a very special episode for me i I have to be honest i i hadn't really appreciated how special it was going to be for me because it feels like i'm connecting a circle here um this week's guest is a man from county kerry from killarney uh singer songwriter brendan o'shea he left Killarney and went to New York and I've never met him in my life before. We're aware of each other. His brother Tim is one of my previous guests, put on shows in Killarney and really was my main driver into getting into playing the acoustic guitar and supporting me at a time when I needed to write songs, you know, when my heart was having to say stuff, to unheft itself. But Brendan was in New York and Tim always spoke about him, but we never met even though I remember I saw him playing a couple of times, but I never said hello for some reason. Um, And and Brendan went to New York and set up the Scratches Sessions, which is one of these vital lifeblood shows for a performer to go in and practice their craft and explore how their songs are going to fit into the everyday lives of other people. It's also a vital environment for a public to come and observe these people. You know, think the Shiné Café and Jeff Buckley. That sort of thing, you know? This is where songs are birthed and where our glances share our ideas and our heartfelt warmth is spread like concentric energies of sharing and and I think we spoke about the harmony that's created between audience and performer. We're in commune around a song and, and places like the Scratch are a sacred ground. And you know, we spoke about this once this quarantine, once COVID is gone, um, we're gonna need these environments more than ever before. So dive into this oh it was wonderful for us to be able to speak you know first of all we had so much in common and uh it felt like i'd made a really good friend there you know he has such a gentleman and he is so generous with his time and also a fantastic songwriter and a man who really bites into the apple of purity a man who really practices his art uh, and absorbs his environment and, and and creates stories about characters but also a little bit of himself in there as well you know we speak about that um, we speak about the sharing in the commune and the, the want for people in our lives and what it's like to be a songwriter, the practicalities of creativity and all that sort of stuff. And just riding the wave of where you are and doing what you do and being happy with where you are, you know, breathing in and, and just experiencing life. Um, so I'm, I think that you're really going to enjoy this one. Anybody from Killarney that knows probably both of us, you're going to enjoy this one. And anybody else who's a songwriter, anybody in New York, whatever, this is a great chat with a real fine practitioner of the art and a true gentleman. 
Brendan O'Shea. But before we launch into that, I'm going to play you a track that Brendan sent me, and it's just so beautifully sung, beautifully performed, and it's an experience. It's like sitting down in a room with someone playing, and that's what you want from your music, you know? So thanks for tapping the flow. Here is Brendan O'Shea. they told you and every generation coming down here May you never be alone when you head out on your own I will see you through when the others come to doubt you And I read the letter that you wrote me It's a message full of hope of what can be And I told the ones who were asking all about you You've been finding your own feet on the other island You've been throwing up stools late in the evening You've been singing songs into their early morning You've been paying up your tops been hailing yellow cops in New York And if I could voice I would be a crow on a wire High above the town I know surrounds you With all that you do Tell me how does it feel Holding out to leave with daylight savings And I'm flying where the wind's gonna take me And I'm looking for a love she's gonna break me And the most of what I do I hope it works out for you in your Sometimes there is a yearning me down for something more familiar than what I found. Now I'm leaving in the dark over bridges and our parks, New York. pleasure to have you on the show man an it's an honor pleasure. to be invited by the likes of yourself Stephen. for sure man good to meet you good to meet you as well i think it's unbelievable yeah. that we've never chatted in the past i think that's absolutely outrageous yeah it's pretty incredible I, honestly Stephen, it's it's emotional for me it's like wow man here's one of my hometown boys here 
and we yeah. kind of never really crossed paths. And here we are 25 years later talking about songs. In the middle of a pandemic. Um, yeah. Isn't it, isn't it a wonderful thing about the pandemic that we've been brought to this position where we are keen to talk to each other and we are able to do so with modern technology? Pretty incredible. And it's a connection, isn't it? Hmm. It's and a connection. Yeah. We have, we've obviously walked the same paths in Killarney and um, probably been to the same school. Which school did you go to? I went to St. Brandon's. There you go, man. Same as myself. Yeah. True Jesus. no fault to my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you manage to pull your socks up yet? <laughs> uh, there you go. There you go. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. I went to St. Brandon's and then I went to a national school just down the road from our house, which right up towards Ballyhar, the Trilly Road, Two Miles School. Oh, you went to Two Miles School, right? Which is my publishing that I've named it, Two Miles School Publishing. Nice. From my own work. Uh, yeah, was mad when all that stuff comes in, as you know well, you know, it's like, all right, you got to sign, get some publishing. If I'm not given publishing, I want to register my work. So I'm with BMI and I was like, all right, what's my publishing company? Two Miles School, Two oh, Mile Music. Do they know that? No. <laughs> no. Sweet. I don't know what's going on in that school since I left it. I've never been back. I was never a fan of being there, Stephen, being yeah. quite honest. Mm -hmm. I, I'm an intuitive, smart individual, but I didn't have much interest. I was the guy who was looking out the window a lot. Mm -hmm. What was I looking at? I don't know. What was I looking for? I don't know. But I didn't have a lot of passion for school. Now I do. I have certain regrets that I wish I did because as I've gotten older, I've become more, uh, I suppose, more attentive to information coming at me, mm -hmm. you know? So do you think, is it, is it then the case that your ability to process information though is, is, is different from other people's because of the way you've allowed yourself to develop? No, I mean, not to be cursing on your show, but the truth is as a youth, and even when I started playing music, I recognized that I was kind of up my own hole. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean that in the cleanest sense of, I've only learned to listen in the last 20 years to what's going on inside of me, around me, and external to me. Hmm. Wow. It's something, it's something I've worked on, you know? Yeah. Is that... Like, how long have you been in New York? 23 years. So does that coincide with your ability to develop a sort of voice that listens to you in a more applicable way to your life? I think it has done thus far hmm. because New York was the first place I went to on my own. I wasn't used to being on my own for too long anywhere. Hmm. Number one, because I, I'm a personable person. I like people. I feed off energy. Obviously, positive energy is the one you claim. Um, but New York was an exercise on making my own decisions from start to finish and not having anyone left or right in me at the immediate time landing there uh, to to have any opinions, being honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What What was it about um, Kerry that stopped you from having opinions? It, I don't think there was any. No, I mean. I don't want to be let off in the wrong track here now with you in the sense of Killarney. I had the best upbringing. I grew up in the eighties in Killarney. And honestly, I look back and for the most part, I had the best upbringing 
I could have ever, and I'm not imagining it or looking back in time and going, oh, that was great. It was great. And I was fully aware of that. That's something I was always listening to and intuitive about is what's going on and who I'm doing it with and the music and the art and the, you know, and knowing about you, people going, have you, oh, he's over in England. Stephen Mm -hmm. Potter says, no, I know the name, man. And I I know he's doing his thing. Mm -hmm. We're doing our thing. And I salute him and someday I'll meet him. Yeah, here we are. Someday we will talk. So just to answer your question, sorry, running off the mat there. I think I just wasn't around enough very creative people who wanted to push beyond the boundaries of the county to a degree with something they had to offer artistically. Mm -hmm. And that's what New York has given me, obviously, New York City. It's a hub for, for entertainment, number one, but also for artists to... It's a city they cling to and because it's tough in one way, but it's very, very extremely supportive and open. Mm-hmm. You know, New York is the first place I landed to where I went there. People were like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a songwriter. And it was okay to say that, you know, it was well accepted. Not that it wasn't at home, but it's just different. And I didn't have the confidence either at home. I played music. I played in the international bar. You know, I, I did a lot of these things. I'd go to Dublin, open up for a band in Slattery's or the Baggage and yeah. spend my money up and down the train. Yeah. But my training ground really was the fall in Killarney. Yeah. And you know of it well. Mm-hmm. And a mutual friend of ours, Tony Flaherty. Mm-hmm. Tony kind of was my first musical partner. And we had, we played the pub every Saturday night, the songs they wanted to hear, the songs we wanted to sing. And it was a great training ground for me, you know. Yeah. I just, from the first time I saw somebody perform in a, in a pub situation with all my friends, like, you know, well, you're in there with all your heads. And I was completely focused on going, I want to be that guy up there. I think he's got the best idea here tonight. With that in mind, I would stick my neck out as well. And, you know, talking about Killarney as a place to grow up, I, I wouldn't change a damn thing about where I grew up at all, man. Um, it was a wonderful place to grow up. And in terms of creative talent that has come out of the songwriting scene there, it was immense. Um, there were some incredible people playing music. You know, there was obviously yourself and then you'd call him O'Sullivan and Ian Whitty and people like that as well, yeah, yeah. who also brought people down to play in Strawberry Tree, you know, as it was. And, and now you've obviously got the um, the acoustic club in the INEC and stuff. So there, I think there's a very strong tradition of creativity there. Um, yeah, and, and I, as you said, Stephen, in your time there and mine and that whole period from the mid-80s to the mid-90s, mm. uh, the great thing was there was enough people in the town and some of them are the people you speak of and yourself that we wanted something to happen. We made it happen. Rudy's, your mm. man's upstairs, you know, the gigs surface. That was, we made that happen because it wasn't coming to us that easy in our town. There was big gigs coming to our town, but nothing of that intimate nature. And we created that. So that's something that we I'm very proud of. And we're all very proud of. We're all part of it. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is we created it. We brought people like, you know, you know, Damien Dempsey, David Gray, Glenn Hansard. Mm-hmm. This is how we got to know all these people well, is by hosting them in our town at our little gathering before the disco. Mm-hmm. Remember, we used to get that gig upstairs and he gave it to us and he said, lads, room cleared by 11. Yeah, we've got a disco to throw on, you know. So, yeah, it was great. And some great people have come out of there and and you're one of them, you know. 
I'm still going. I'm a lifer. I realize that now. Nothing else to do about it, you know, um, but enjoy the ride. Um, I, I, I'd like to sort of expound on this because in, in Killarney, as you say, we brought them down. You, we had to create a scene, you know, and th- therefore yes. by doing so, we improved. Um, but you went to New York and you set up the scratcher sessions. Now, was that also an element of doing the same sort of thing, carving a space for yourself? I, yes, it was. It, it Not necessarily, Stephen, carving a space for myself, but I went to New York and I remember some of the best advice I got was from a club owner. And he said, I said, hey, man, I'd like to play these clubs, but I just got here and they're all looking to see if I can bring 100 people to the gig because mm. they're, they're, you know, proper clubs. And he was like, just to give you a heads up, I can see you're a pretty decent, honest dude coming out of Clarny with your guitar. Tell him you can bring 60 people. You don't even, you know, nobody but me right now, but just tell him you can bring 60 people. And that was a little advice and a, you know, why get, why let the truth get in the way of a good lie? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But my point is then I was playing and I noticed when I was playing outside of the open mics, like sidewalk, great, great little haunt that's gone now in the Lower East Side, legendary Jeff Buckley back. Everybody used to come through there playing their craft. Mm-hmm. So uh, the scratcher sessions for me is it was opened by one of the guys that used to own Chenet, the original wow. Chenet Cafe. So yeah. And I think after a few years, it took me years to get that off the ground, but it was, I did it because number one, the scratcher, I was bartending there. I still do not now, but it's been my place of work for 20 years. So, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the musicians from around the world and especially Ireland touring, they'd all come in for a pint. So I kind of developed these relationships, but then when I started the gig, because I had my own following at this point, I was doing my thing. And we can talk about that more later, what that is. Mm-hmm. But the scratcher session, I was like, I'd love to host a gig. I've never hosted a gig in my life, but I'm like, I'd like to host a gig here just to give people a platform to be listened to. And I, there's no pressure on bringing anybody to the gig. We're not going to promote it too much, actually, because I, the one thing I did gain was a lot of confidence in different arenas within myself and areas. And one of them was, I'm like, no, people know this bar is something that's pretty true and honest and something special could happen in here. And my thing, Stephen, for starting it at all was, could I have a musician play here and actually just for an hour, 45, 50 minutes set and have a bar scene be completely silent and there's no cover charge and the door is wide open for anybody to walk in. And after it took... Literally, it took about seven, eight years, but one night I'm turning to my partner who helps me with that, the gig, Pete, he's a, he's a friend of mine and he organizes the gig with me. Mm-hmm. And just like that, it was like, wow, there's something happening here. This is happening right now. There is an audience that depend on this Sunday night for their social and music needs. And yeah. So it became a kind of a club and thankfully it's still going. And we've had over six, 700,000 artists come through and, you know, on all levels. So for me, that was the achievement of that gig is like, yeah, I book it. And, but it's about going, there you are, man, there's the floor. Mm. There's no cover charge. People will fill a bucket with money for you. And people have been extremely generous because they, they feel it as a special night. So they pay as they would a gig. And all I'm going is there's the floor. There's an audience that will listen to you. It's a very simple PA with two inputs. Away you go. 
so that's the success of the scratcher. It has very little to do with me at that point. You know, it becomes its own entity. Yeah, but it's you're holding space for songs for songwriters. Yes. for appreciators of songs and in some regards the audience are also performing by being there in commune with the song and i think yes. that that is an incredible achievement to keep that going but i understand why it keeps going because these are sacred grounds these are like these are proving are grounds. sacred grounds and i think they also Stephen. it takes as you say it takes years like you have to persevere with it and eventually it just kicks all of a sudden it becomes the thing and and it becomes i'm turning down people to play there over the last few years no sorry man we're only doing it eight months a year and we're full mm. because it's not about the money and people are making money there thankfully now excuse me but it's more about the space and they heard from so and so that it's a it's a wonderful setting to play in mm -hmm. And as you know, and I know, that's all we ever want is a chance in a room. Give me a room where I have a chance. Mm -hmm. You know? Give me a room where I have a chance. That's, yeah, that sums it up, doesn't it? Like, be, you, just want, you just want an equal proving ground, you know? Because I think many of us could shine in certain environments, but that is the equal playing ground, isn't it? The, the audience are there to listen. There's a nice... PA. It wouldn't matter who walked in, you'd have the same chance as anybody else. Yeah. I've, I've loved these things. It's been weird, man, because I remember um, many years ago, I supported uh, Paul Brady and there was Paul Brady in, it was in the Vicar Street. Paul Brady was playing. Mark Knopfler was there. Emmylou Harris was there. And I, and I went on before them and it was pin drop silence. The room was full, 800 people. Incredible. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. The next night I ended up there were some friends of mine playing in Molly Darcy's, which is obviously, as you know, a pub in Muckers. And yeah. uh, these guys said, oh, would you come up and do a song? So I went up to get us to play a song and I couldn't get anybody to listen. Nobody would listen. And the weird thing was there were two people there who were at the Paul Brady gig the night before and they came up and they didn't understand what was different. And it was the room. It's that sacred place where a song is played. The walls are full of the souls of the songwriters and the audience and the sweat and the tears and the understanding and the conveyance of ideas and this sort of feeling of warmth and mutual appreciation and acceptance and, and growth and yeah. harmony, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you know, and I know, when you do enough gigs where it's a struggle, it's a struggle to be heard simply. It's a struggle to be heard. Good sound, bad sound, whatever. It's just a struggle to be heard mm. and uh the scratcher has developed that room it's about the people back to the pandemic that's what i miss i know mm. what that is and it's special and it can't be created like this but this is our medium right now and it's working and i'm very grateful like you are for it but bodies in a room these people are used to hearing music in a very quiet nature on a sunday night that's what it's they've elected that quietness not the artist They've mm -hmm. elected it going, all right, I'm going to give this a go. Get me pint, get me cup of tea, my white tea. <laughs> Are they drinking a the white tea? I'm not. But I see, I've been listening to your podcast. White so tea. <laughs> I'm Barry's all the way, Stephen. Oh, you got the Barry's going on there. I'm loading the caffeine in you. Good man. This is actually, this is a green tea. It'll blow the head off me before I go to sleep tonight. That's fine though. Um, it's, anyway. uh, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, I think watching your show the other day, um, in the, it was the Rockwood Music Hall, um, and I, I expressed a lot of emotion, uh, tears in my eyes, 
particularly when it's when you started gelling together and, and I could sense that if there were people there, it would have been a real heartwarming experience for everybody. And I got a lot of that from the performance, but a lot of it, the tears were tinged with sadness that that isn't so accessible. And we don't see when that's coming back to that extent. Even to do a gig like you did there doesn't seem to be that accessible because it was very high quality stuff. Mm -hmm. Did you feel, how did you feel? I, I suppose there's two feelings here, isn't it? Because you've been in the mountains for 11 mm -hmm. months and then you went yeah. into the city. That must have been really fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. Definitely, uh, definitely uh, kind of trippy in a way, Stephen. Um, I've only done a few live gigs, commission gigs, some of them, and then one free will viral concert. And that was the maybe the fifth one, the Rockwood. But uh, to be in a club, because the rest I did from home, mm -hmm. but to be in a club that you've played in full tilt with band, solo, places jamming, you know yourself. It's a Lower East Side. It's Friday night, Thursday night, whatever night. Mm -hmm. It was weird. I had a moment there where we were sitting on stage and just when he said go, I was like, wow, man, I'm looking at this. Imp there's a balcony there. You know, there's nobody there. So being in it and sitting in the room, was it was just kind of shocking for a second because you're like, I know there's people out there, you know, and there was gratefully. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. But uh, yeah, it was strange walking through the Lower East Side, my own neighborhood. Mm -hmm. A lot of places are gone. The graffiti has already taken over the shell of the building. It's like it's wild, man, to see that happen in, you know, split timing. Yeah. Um... But the gig felt good. Uh, it felt good as it could not having bodies in the room with yeah. all we've been talking about. Yeah. It felt really good. And I think for me as the player and singer, and I know the guys felt the same, Jenna and Jefferson, there's people out there. They're sitting at home with their tea and their drinks, and they're, they're actually listening and watching us. So focusing on that, but not really seeing them, you know, it just becomes after a few songs, you're like, all right, my imaginary friends in a way, but no, they're there. Yeah, I, I, that came across. I think that 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 very much came across as a powerful reminder of what you're capable of doing and what you've been doing for many years. I felt I was at a gig. I knew I was at a gig. All three of you had a very different way of wow. playing and performing, but it was it was brilliant. Um, it was brilliant to feel some emotion at someone playing, you know. And it wasn't yeah. even happening at the same time. I watched it in the morning because it was too late for me to catch it then. Right. I was very, very grateful that you did that and that you filmed it to the, and the sound was so good. Um, and I yeah. felt for you as well when you must, have, you must have left New York and, and come back out to, you're in the Catskill Mountains, right? Yeah, we've had a house up here, Stephen, for a few years, but between touring and bartending for me and Jenna works in the city, my wife, um, we've only been coming up in the summers, really, and it's been closed for six, seven months. Mm -hmm. So I've nearly done a full circle of a year now, mm -hmm. closing on it. And it's been an incredible experience, you know, because I haven't lived in the country since I lived back in Ireland, you know? Yeah. How has and that it, affected your songwriting? Uh, I don't know if it has. It's just given me more time to listen to what's coming in, I suppose. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And so I don't know if it's affected my, I've, I haven't written a lot. I've been You're, working yeah. on the house a lot. Yes, yeah. I've been writing now lately. Yeah. After the summer, I, I kind of picked up the guitar. But, and I know you can relate to this, but there's there's months there and between the years, Stephen, where I, I'm looking at the guitar in the corner and I'm not, I'm walking around it. 
can't <laughs> even pick it up because I've literally tapping the flow. I feel I've turned off the tap. There's nothing going on. I can't even, I don't even want to pick it up, but that's because I've turned the tap off maybe, you know? Yeah. It's because I don't know, for me, it's the fear of opening the thing in case I get washed away by it, you know, but that's, it's, it's not dripping at the moment. Sometimes it drips, right? I, I spoke to, I've got a mentor now that's, that's giving me some good advice about this sort of thing. And we spoke about songwriting and, um, we're not alone in this. We are, we are blocked because it used to be, there was an end game that you'd make an album. You'd know you were going to put the album out. You'd know you could put a tour on, you'd know you'd be playing there. You'd be able to plan out two years, but now we can't do that. Now that's not my reason for making an album ever. Like that's not at all the reason I do it. Right. But that is something to think about in terms of how you can reapproach songwriting. So for myself, I admit I am very blocked, but if I'm able to frame what I want an album to be out, to be about, perhaps that will open the door for me being able to actually think about what I should be writing about and digesting and um, putting out the right ideas to myself. Right. Is that something I mean, you've thought about? Well, you're, I, to what you're saying there, you're talking album wise, uh, a body of work, a again, body of work, yeah. another eight, 10, 12, whatever it is, songs. Mm. I'm kind of just waiting for the song. I'm song by song, Stephen. And that's the way I've always been. Yeah. As I make records, when I put a record out, all right, as you know, you might already be gigging some newer songs once that record comes out. But those to me, those songs that you wrote since the last one that you may want to put on another record or body of work. To me, usually once I write one or two or definitely three, it's elected itself what it's going to be. Yeah. I don't kind of I don't kind of try and rein those ideas into a, a subject matter or an idea. I mm -hmm. kind of go, OK, I, I see what this is becoming. You know, and what happens to me is I may write another 12 songs and I'll put nine on the record. Those yeah. three just didn't fit when I listened back to everything. But I yeah. kind of take it on a song for song basis rather than an album project. I've because, always been like that as well. I yeah, think it's yeah. um, it's uh, it's very hard to approach something from sort of looking at what the what the box is before you know what you want to put in the box, you know? Right. Um, right. So for me, it just so happens that when I record an album, there is, seems to be a sort of continuity between them, which is what tells me what songs should go on the record and what shouldn't. And you know yourself from playing live, you always have some sort of a flow to your set, whether you're aware of it or not. And albums are like that. But it was just it was right. put to me as an interesting way of considering how to frame an album, particularly if the subject matter is very close to your heart and you don't necessarily right. want to shine a light on yourself. Right. There's a way of doing it, you know? Of course. And there's, there's even a fear in that itself, of course. Because for that, you have to start peeling away more layers than you've done already. Yeah. And uh, a practice I've been kind of uh, working on in the last while, just as a practice for songwriting is, like yourself, I do, I, I, I'm, I find, you know, they say write about things you know about, you know. Yeah, well, some things I know, but I don't really feel strongly about, write about that. A song right. can be about anything, but I suppose what I'm getting to is, um, I just feel I've been writing songs about characters that I'm aware of, that I would have seen around my hometown, mm -hmm. that I would have seen around New York late at night. I don't know them. I've put names on them. I'm beginning to write songs, but I know the activity and I know what's going on there. So, and, and that's not about me. It's about an observation. And I've, I've only beginning 
recently to practice that because yeah. sometimes it is too much when you're not ready to try and write something that, as you said, is in there that you're not willing to break, crack the ice on it mm -hmm. yet. Mm. Write, write about something else. It will mean something. Put you know? some of yourself in there, I guess, if it yeah. so happens. Does that explain then why we're both struggling to write songs if we're not around characters anymore? Uh, I, I suppose, yeah, when you're not kind of in the field and on the street, you're not seeing who is and what's going on and how people are relating to each other in the world and you. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel still we've been given great time. And maybe some of us are suffering in the silence of that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I can sit around this evening. I don't have any plan this evening. I'm sure I'm going to play music at some point, but it's quiet. And I'm walking around going, what's going on? You know, you have to be with oneself. Mm -hmm. And I think all that is good material for songs. You don't have to be in the madness of London. You don't have to be in the madness of New York. You just have to be kind of decompartmentalize your own, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I personally haven't really written about London yet, even though I lived there for many, many years. And I think I needed to be away from the place to write about it. So I do agree yeah. with that to some extent, for sure. Um, mm -hmm. for you, songwriting, obviously, I presume would have begun in, uh, Killarney. Well, what age were you? What, what was her name? What was, what was, what was your reason for writing a song in the first place? Um, I think, I think it's inherent in one. It, it, it's, uh, it's expression. I think from a very young age, I think I, like I said, I used to be playing the Falter Hotel in the late eighties. Mm -hmm. mid 80s with Tony Flaherty and we would do all these covers that we loved Bowie tunes and the go-betweens yeah. and all this stuff I was into uh, and then I would sneak in a song I wrote and like you know back then you're just stringing words together and they're yours and you're trying to say something maybe but mm -hmm. uh, I was I didn't have any confidence at all I, I'm a confident performer but I didn't have any confidence in songwriting but I knew that I wanted to do that because I spent a lot of my time in Ireland outside of that gig playing traditional sessions which were amazing I learned so much in that arena but I knew that I didn't want to sit in a corner just backing tunes I knew that I wanted to try and write songs like the people I admired that did that mm -hmm. you know yeah but it wasn't like someone poked you with a stick, someone emotionally no. poked you with a stick or anything like that. No, no, no. Catharsis. I think it's just, it's just a need and a want. You get bored with doing a certain thing and you're like, I want to try yeah. and write a song. Maybe it'll be okay. I don't know. Yeah. I'm still trying to write a song, you know? Yeah. It's just and what you do, isn't I it? See it? It's what you do. And I'm still trying to people go, how do you, I'm like, I'm not really sure how you write a song. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning, you know? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, if someone, Stephen, how do you write a song? How do I write a song? I feel that I'm a channeling something from from some deeper part of myself or from somewhere else, particularly the good ones, the ones that you um, wake up in the morning and you just write and there's your song. Those are magic moments, you know, they are magic. So would that be in the same category as just asking you your opinion? You know, those songs, for both of us, I'm sure there are certain songs that literally did land on the table. Yeah. Words and melody. You maybe yeah. had to grab one line. Where do you think they come from and why does that happen and why doesn't it happen more? 
Oh, now you're talking tapping the flow. So I yeah. wish I wish I knew. Now this, like I did start this podcast with the intention of trying to discover what it was that made that happen, or at least to enjoy theorizing about this stream of constant creativity that's flooding past us. It's hard to say why that happens. Is it a place of right place, right time? I'm not sure. It's almost like, for me personally, I think I've honed my skills to a certain level, like internally sculpting my ability to create something that resonates with me on a very deep level. Now, did I grab that from within myself? I don't know. Is it something that the greater conscious needed to say? I'm not sure either. You know, I really don't have an answer to this question. Um, mm -hmm. It's been it's been weird though. Like there are certain things about instruments, like for example, the acoustic guitar. I've been playing electric guitar a lot, but I love the acoustic guitar because the wood resonates on your heart. It's almost like it massages your heart, and then things yeah, are said yeah. a different way. So it's very hard to be specific about something that is so artistic and loose. But I definitely feel that there have been songs where. I've almost woken up and gone, oh, I've got to write this down, bang. Even you just start singing and playing at the same time and the whole song is done. Like, like there, could, there could be a time when I could press record and three minutes later, I've got a whole song. Now, if I go back and try and perfect it, I'll ruin it. But at that time, right. that emotional, and how you feel at the time when it comes out. Is yeah, very it's pretty amazing. It's, a pre it's an amazing moment and moments to be in, you know. And, uh, you know, how do you feel then, like, about the 10... 10 10 percent you know inspiration 90 percent perspiration that makes me perspire <laughs> yeah um yeah. well I, I suppose that's called the work isn't it, it that's work. called that's called the work and i've written songs in the work that have been very very interesting and, and um there did, did you feel differently about them don't you yeah um yeah I think i don't know i think percentage of songs that have flooded out of me in the magic sort of sense um it's probably less than the ones that have come from the work you know but okay. still with the work there is always a title or something that pops out from somewhere i don't right. sit down and really like i can do it i can sit down and go okay i'm gonna write a song about this today and i can do that and it's possible to do that but that wouldn't be a top shelf song for me right uh, okay no fair enough yeah uh, what about yourself oh i mean I've thrown away, definitely thrown away more work than I've kept and literally thrown it away. Only in the last few years, I said, look, I might go back and grab. There was a few good lines there because mm -hmm. I'm still a guy with a pen and paper. I don't use the computer. Nice. I sit with my pen and paper, but I haven't been great at documenting stuff. But lately, again, the last few years I've gone, shall leave it in the book, even though it reads, it doesn't make sense to you now, but maybe it will down the road. Mm -hmm. And I've been even now, that's what I've been doing up here, going through my journals and going, oh, wow, there's an interesting line. You know, I mean, I look at it as a real craftsman going to work in a sense. I'm trying to look at it that way. Step outside of yourself and look at this as as a craft and a job that it is. Yeah. And I don't mean job that it's hard work or it's, you know, um, it's definitely yeah. a job that no one's getting a steady wage on. But. That's the way I'm approaching it. Stephen. It's a discipline. And, and yeah, it's a discipline. You know. So, as far as the songs go, I've thrown away more than I've kept. I think, but for the most part, I might. You're your own best critic, aren't you? Yeah. You know, someone else will go. Why, Stephen? That's really beautiful. Why? You know, yeah. oh, I can't get my, 
I can't get into that part of it. That doesn't work for me. Fine, you're the creator. You can eliminate it. But as a listener, I, that was very pleasant to hear. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's about compromise too, I, I believe. I, 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 I'm agreeing with what you're saying because actually the songs that you work hard on, uh, just because they're devoid of some sort of like spark of a flash of an idea moment doesn't mean that they don't become something special to somebody else. And it doesn't mean that you haven't honed your ability to improve because you need to improve your craft all the time. Yes. Uh, so I have, I would say I've improved as a songwriter and I hope so. Uh, whether I'm as inspired as I was is another question. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of things I'm sure. What is it mainly you find that gives you the disillusion of being inspired? Ah, the disillusion of being inspired. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should call it that. It is that sort of desire for things to be easy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's that yeah, desire. It's like, oh, God, that song that I wrote, like when I was 24 is the best song I've ever written. I'm always chasing that. And that just that just jumped out. Why can't I do that? But yeah. you did do that. You have to. You have to say, "Brilliant! That's inspired you to be better." Now you can work at the reasons as to why that's good. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I mean, like, I think that is important. Climbing on that point of the songwriting, where your peers are certain people that you would, I'm sure, go, "Hey, I want to send you a song. Will you have a listen? Give me an old, you know, not give me a validation, but let me know what you think honestly." And we all have those people. I have maybe two people that I would send something to. And mm -hmm. it's for complete constructive criticism because I like it. I'm kind of not positive about it. I can definitely get behind it, playing it, but I just want their opinion. And they might point out something that actually was very obvious to me, but I denied it. You know, that kind of way. Yeah. So uh, I think, and validation is important to be validated. Like you said, you can sit there and go, I wrote these cracker songs in my twenties. And why can't I do that again? And, a lot of it is pressure too, because there are certain people that would have followed your music and mm -hmm. there's a, an awful lot of them that are attached to these two songs mm -hmm. or three songs. And part of you is going, oh, I got to rewrite those. I got to write more of those ones. They, we all have that moment, you know, but I don't think that's the healthiest thing. That was a time and a place and it is yours and you did do it. And now it's in the ownership of the listener who funds it, you know, for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, here we are 20 years later from that moment in time of whatever it was, and, and this planet that we're on has moved ex exponentially through the expanding universe. So that was a long, long time ago, and many, many thousands and billions of miles away, when that moment happened, it doesn't have to happen again, to validate you because you've already validated your position with that. Right. So I, right. I, I, I'm just, um, I, I think it's laziness as well. I think it's just this expectation that a good song is one that just flows out of you. That that really isn't just the case. Uh, we're talking to Gabriel Moreno on the last podcast. I listened to that. Yeah, brilliant. He's a really like really really good lyricist, but he will work on his lyrics a lot until they're yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, some songwriters have to rewrite their lyrics fifty times until a song's amazing. Right. It's it's a discipline. It's a different way of working. Like I'm going, I'm going to do um, a songwriting workshop next week for a whole week, and I'll be collaborating with other songwriters. It's not something I normally do, you know, right. but the opportunity has arisen. Um, and I did one like I did one before Christmas, and that was really cool. But I was stressing like 
how important it was to take lyrics to the next level. You need to have some rhyming structure. You need to have a sort of like the personage needs to be the same all the way through. It has to make sense. It has to be a beginning, middle, and an end. You need a hook. You need a you need you need you need to tell a whole life story in three and a half minutes using the way you normally speak in your life. That's really, really hard. But what a challenge. What a great challenge to try and achieve. Of course it is. And and I love the idea. I've actually not done it, the workshop thing. And I think it's in my future maybe, but I think it's great because you're put in a position to go, all right, you two guys go in there and knock out a song mm. and let's track it at six o'clock. Yeah. You know, just the bare bones of it. I, 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 I think those challenges are good because again, as you can see at this point, I think the more we step out of our own way and are challenged with things like that, and like I said earlier, write a song about, some character you don't really know, but you know what he's going through. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know him. You don't have to have lived it. Mm -hmm. Stretch yourself. You know what I mean? So these are just practices I, I'm kind of intrigued by at the minute. Yeah. Get out of your own way. That's one of my favorite expressions. Get out yeah, of your own for sure. way. Yeah, for sure. And it's like that thing is uh, the more you say you have writer's block. I've been there, man, and I'll be there again. And yeah. I know you're kind of there yeah. at the moment. The mo I noticed when I was in it for a few years bad, the more I said it to people, the more I completely believed that was it. Yeah. That's it. I think I'm done. Yeah. I don't think I've, you know, a year has passed. There's no songs. Yeah. So you've you know? been there. So, yeah. so I would say inhale a bit, you know, listen to the breath rather than those words all the time. Mm -hmm. Leave the tap open, just trickling. Mm-hmm. Because if you turn it off, nothing can flow, right? Yeah, this is very true. I think it is the language we internalize that destroys us sometimes, and you become what you fear. Um, for sure, for sure. So I, I've started saying, God, I, I was blocked, but now the words are coming. And I sleep with my, like, I, I love the, the idea of writing with pen and paper. Um, because nobody can read my writing, so it's very personal, you know. Same for me. Like a doctor's handwriting, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I, I sleep with that, you know, on, on the shelf next to me, and then, then I grab it, and I go down in the morning, and I'll write something. It doesn't matter what it is, like, it just has to be something. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that makes me feel at least I'm honoring the fact that there's still something to be said. Good, good. And if anything, Stephen, it's a good practice. Yeah. It's a good practice, you know. You need to be ready, yeah, for even if inspiration strikes and you're not actually up to speed on how you're right, you might not do it the right service either, you know, you might do the disservice. For sure. Yeah, for sure, so you've man. got to be ready for, for action, yeah. Um, what, like, I, I, I wanted to ask you something about your childhood, like, when I spoke to your brother, Tim, who has been a fantastic yeah. supporter of my music over the years, and he put the night, he, like yourself, he put the event on in the Beanhouse Cafe in Killarney, and yeah, that was my... Yeah, speak about that, yeah. Yeah, that was my baptism of, of playing acoustic guitar and singing, because I really needed to, you know, it, it was my birthing place as a singer-songwriter, it's all his fault. <laughs> wow. But um, he spoke about, on the mantelpiece of your grandmother, there was... Um, uh, and a, like a squeeze box. Do you remember that? No, you see, I have no recollection of that. I was three. Right. I think two or three or four. Because they, God love them, our relatives, they passed, they all passed away for the most part. You know, both our parents have passed. All our grandparents are gone now. Wow. It's a mad one, you know. A lot of these people died early as well. Young, should I say, not early. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember that. I was listening to that podcast you did with Tim, and it was beautiful. <laughs> 
to listen to to gain information that I never knew. Like there you go. I didn't know that until I heard it on your show of what he witnessed. And so uh yeah. It's a beautiful image for me. I thought like that the, the the music was in your family. Like it's 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 in you. It's in yourself and your brother. And I you don't have the same type of voices, but you do have some element of vibrato in your voice that he also has. Right. What what's going on there? Where's that come from? You know? As I say, it's it's uh when we played together, we played together for the last maybe 10 years. Every two years, we would do the German tour and I would yeah. do a tour with Tim. And then he would continue on and do another two weeks with someone else would come over instead of me and join him. And I would go do a solo tour myself. Mm -hmm. So it's this whole German kind of thing. Uh, so to answer your question, I think playing with Timmy, we either have a, an amazing night and it is so natural what we're doing and easy, actually or else it's extremely difficult because I've never played with a family member before, you know? Yeah. No one else in the family plays. John organizes music and has since I was a kid, which was amazing uh, learning for me too, going to these gigs when I was 12, 13, 14 that he would organize. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it's just blood, isn't it? It's, it's in a family. A family is a family, you know? You listen to, you know, Someone I know you're not the hugest fan of, Lon, Lon Wainwright's son. What's his Rufus, name? Rufus, yeah. Rufus. And then yeah. you listen to Martha, you know, brother, yeah. sister. Yeah, yeah. Two very different artists, but cut from the same cloth, you know. And there's something very true. If you're not a fan of either their music, there is something very true about their sense of performance. And I've, I think that comes yeah. from their mothers and their aunts, which mm -hmm. are an amazing folk tradition in Canada, you know. Mm. So it's inbred all that stuff, I feel, in the most positive way. You know, yeah. like me and yeah. Tim are very different individuals. We yeah. play very differently. Tim doesn't write that many songs. That's all I do is write, try to write songs. Mm -hmm. And all I can tell you is I don't, I don't question where it comes from, but I know that when it's good, it's really good mm -hmm. and natural. Yeah. So... It is. It is. There's a. There's some amazing music of yours that I've been listening to over the last while. Um, it's, Thank you, man. You. 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 That is it. Canada is a song called Canada. That Canada. Yeah. That's wow. in, that's incredible. That that there's something about the sense of place in that song that really takes me somewhere else. You know. Um, is it is is it sung with a longing? That song. It's funny now. I can only, and it's out of my choice, really. As we were talking earlier, that song is actually comes from a very deep place in me that I don't like to expose beyond what you're hearing uh -huh. and what you're taking from it. Now, that being said, Stephen, that was the first time, I think that was 2005 or seven or something when I did that record. I recorded that record in New York, Chicago, and I finished it with Carol Adlam in Dublin. Oh, nice. Yeah, you know, and that particular song, Canada, I was like, Canada was a word. I had a jacket I used to wear at gigs all the time that somebody gave me, a lovely little green army bomber jacket with Canada on the side. Mm -hmm. And loads of people were always like, oh, he's, still, he's got the Canada jacket. And I was writing that song. And as I said, it came from a very, very, uh, a very real place for me. And that word just came out. That word has nothing to do with the song at all. Yeah but it's the climax of the song. It is. 
So it's they, you know, what's that? I don't know, but it's funny you ask about that one because that is a very personal story. And then I just liked, I was working on it, working on it. And I played these cards and I went Canada and I sang Canada and I was like, yeah, that's it. That's amazing. In fact, it's very funny when you say that because listening to that, there's a meaning to the way you sing it rather than the words that you're singing that express what you told me that something comes from a deeper place. In the yeah. sense of longing, okay, it's quite a barren, sparse country as well, and very much most of it is quite barren, isn't it? And that's mm -hmm. already inherent in the word, but there's something about the way you're singing it and the musicality wow. of it. Wow, man. Yeah. Yeah, that, face uh, what you've done, challenge, what is it? Face what is to come, challenge what you've done before the devil comes creeping. Yeah. God, that's yeah. taken me way back, Stephen. Yeah. Mad. I think it was 2003, actually. Yeah, you know, be anyway, here still. Is that the album? Be here still. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And I, I was listening to one of your podcasts. As I say, I've listened to all of them in the last few months. Oh, nice. And there are two or three months. But uh, oh yeah, definitely. I've listened to your live streams. But uh, yeah, it's mad. It is. It, it's so interesting to me to listen to people's opinions and their ways of operating and working. The artists you've had on the podcast. It's it's been amazingly inspiring to me yeah you for know? me as well it's kept me real and it's kept me beyond real it's 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 so nice to connect and my next thought is to try to have us all doing a zoom meetup and just hanging out and playing some songs together you know because i think wow you're in the state you can come it'll be, it'll be i love lovely. it lovely to have you man and gabriel's up for it so we should definitely do that but yeah. let, let's i want to go back to this okay this, sorry this thing so you teach do you in a traditional what what's the story with the traditional music thing that you teach and i'm not fully up to that what is that i'm not teaching trinity. i oh yeah trinity far from teaching i am in that setup okay that is a dance company based out of chicago yeah and it it basically it's an irish dance company irish american now people go oh so it's it's river dance no it's not it was there long before river dance but this guy who owns it and is the director is uh, Mark Howard, born in England, grew up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And his father was Irish and his mother was Irish English. And uh, we became friends. He was a fan of mine because I moved to Chicago before I moved to New York, Stephen. Right. And I was I was in a Celtic rock band there. Oh, that was God, my were you? <laughs> yeah. I was in a Celtic rock band in Chicago. And were you we playing actually, electric guitar? No, I was playing bass. Nice. And singing. And I was, uh, and we did quite well on that scene because we went way beyond the Irish scene. We went, were playing the rock clubs and, and we were the only kind of Celtic thing that we're doing that. So we got some good, good run out of it. And then we did a few songs for Backdraft. That was the first time I ever had any songs. That movie Backdraft, which yeah, came out yeah. in what, 90? You were commissioned uh, to write two songs for yeah, that, is that correct? for that. The Scout found us and that was a big thing. And, but I think the dance company, we used to work with Mark on these festivals playing live music for his dancers. Mm -hmm. And since then, to go on 20 plus years, Mark signed to an agent in New York and it's more of a contemporary modern dance agent. So like world dance and he's in that, like we're playing and uh, it's a live band and I'm the musical director basically. And I write songs for dancing like the director or dance director will send me beats that he's looking for timings. Yeah and whether he wants lyrics or just music. And it can be more in an Irish contemporary vein, or it can be in definitely more contemporary modern music sound. 
and I love it. Again, the challenge, I just like it. So I've been working with them and we tour Japan every two years for the last 15. Every oh, two years wow. we do Japan yeah. and we do the dance season in America then from like February until about July. We'll kind of be out every week for two mm -hmm. gigs maybe. And it's all theater gigs and amphitheaters. Mm -hmm. So that's been a, a great kind of, not a side gig by any means, because it's a, it's a major part of my income as well. But it's been great because I'm playing and I'm writing, but I'm commissioned to do so by the director. As for when I'm home here, I'm sitting going, what's Brendan got? Yeah, it's very so, healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's you're... that. I'm not teaching anything. No, no. Okay. So you, you're, you're writing to brief from, from the director, essentially. Is there a story to, to, to which you write the music? Not necessarily, no. There's a dance. It's a lot of it is is he will send me footage of the rough progression of this dance and there how go. it's going yeah. and how it's yeah. going to be. And he will literally reference other music or songs and go, yeah. the way this kicks in here, I like this. So think about that. You know what I mean? Or like the way that it kind of bottoms out here musically, the dynamic. I like that. Do something, mm -hmm. you know. Because he doesn't really have musical much musical knowledge, but he knows what he wants. He's more of a visionary, you know. Mm -hmm. And I love yeah. it. It's I'm working with someone. I I have to compromise. I have to. All these things are healthy for me, you know. You can't improve until you're challenged, you know. That's, Correct. That's for I, sure. I, I, I definitely agree with that, Stephen. Yeah. Yeah. Do, I, so. It's it's curious with with you know going back to the song Canada and how the melody itself takes you to a place, even if the words were jumbled up and made no sense, there's something in the way you sing it. And I think that a lot of like, I don't know, Irish music has the ability, the power of place without the words. You know, it has that inherent in it as well. And I guess that then you bring this to the Trinity Dance Company, right? Mm -hmm. When you're writing your music to it. And a lot of that would be inspired by growing up in Killarney in many ways, wouldn't it? Because for sure. And, yeah. and I think with with this dance company, these dancers are extremely versatile, you know. So to me, when I see movement, like I've been lucky enough, nothing major since Backdraft, but I've done some film stuff, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I love it because someone's sending me a visual and they're going, I like what you do, but could you watch this and see what you can come up with for mm -hmm. me? I don't want lyrics. I just want music. So I'll mess around with the keyboard. I'll mess around with the electric, the acoustic, and I'll come up with two or three ideas and send them on. And I think back to the Irish music and, and, and rooted in that from a child, we definitely have our own sense of rhythm. Mm. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but we do. You know, we do have a sense of rhythm of our own that, uh, like I found, I'm sure like you have in London, but I found... When I moved to New York, when I started playing with other musicians, these musicians were extremely accomplished players. You know, one of them played keyboards with the Tom Tom Club. He played drums with me. This other girl, Rasputina, was a, a Columbia Records, three women cellos. Incredible. Wow. She played with me after that folded. But and I often I was like, that's a confidence thing. But I was like, what is it about what I do that 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 you like coming to do the gigs with me? And they're like, you're very different. And I don't know what you're going to do from one minute to the next. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Idiosyncratic. It was simple as that. Yeah. And I'm like, does that mean I'm disorganized up here? And they're like, no, you're completely. That's what's beautiful for us. Because we're so used to playing music that is pretty precise. 
and usually written out and in front of us, mm -hmm. that someone like you comes along and I just have to watch you to see what, where you're going. Cause it's never the same. Yeah. So whatever that is, stubbornness. <laughs> I don't know, man. Let's, 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 let's equate it to something that we do know is common in County Kerry's. You get four seasons in one day. Maybe it's that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it was sunny a second Scattered ago. Scattered no. showers between the rain, you know, <laughs> that's what you are. <laughs> yeah. Scattered showers and rainy skies. Yeah. Dry rain. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, um, I'm the same. I'm idiosyncratic. Now, I, I when I went, one of the things that mm -hmm. happened to me was I left Ireland because I wanted to go somewhere else and just get lost among a sea of people, put on my human diving suit and go swimming. And, me and too. I, me and too. I, yeah, I, th I figured that was it. Like, you know, it's it's very much like I want to be a stranger. And I'd walk, man. I'd walk 20 miles a day. I'd walk across the city. My That's favorite so book, wild. Yeah. Geek Geek Style, was the London A to Z, man. I'd like, today I'm going to go with these four pages, you know. And I'd just walk. And I'd pass a million faces. I'd see a million different facial expressions. And, and, and that's all I did, man. That was incredible because, Stephen, that is exactly January 8, 1997, when I landed in New York. That's exactly what I did for two months, was just walk the place. And... Hmm. Being in that moment, I remember sitting on a fire escape and my cousin had an apartment there. He's an actor. He wasn't around. He was working. So he had, I had to get these keys at a restaurant, middle of New York City, and then went across to this apartment. And I remember sitting out on the fire escape and smoking a cigarette. And I was like, oh my God, here I am. Like you, you're like, New York, here yeah. it is. I know nobody. Nobody knows me. I felt a fierce freedom in that. And like you, I just took it block by block every day. Yeah. I won't lie. It was winter when I got there. So I made sure I was back in the apartment before dark. Yeah. Because I wasn't that brave yet. Uh, but yeah. yeah, incredible, man. When I look back at that, those times, I was like, just to actually not know anybody and just see all these people flowing by morning, noon and night. Mm -hmm. uh, it was great. It was a good time, wasn't it? That that energy is incredible, isn't it? That the energy of a city, there's so much potential, so much, so many things that I guess now it's very different in cities, but we, we won't get to that yet. But the walking around and being a stranger was the best thing about being in the city for me, you know, and I think that um, now I'm now I'm out of the city, I still crave that energy, you know, I still want that, but I want to mm -hmm. be able to dip out of it again, you know, it's yeah. a weird one. Yeah. 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 See, I mean, I've only got up and out of the city now since the pandemic, as you know, mm -hmm. and the city is what it is now in New York and it's, it's upsetting and it's, it's sad. Just, you know, it's a shell of itself. It really is at this point, mm -hmm. you know, January, 2021, it's a shell of itself. And I'm not sure when and how it's going to come back, but I know it will come back. But yeah. I do believe I've kind of, in a sense, I mean, in the best way, I feel I've kind of washed my hands of my time being a permanent resident within those streets. Yeah, I've had my experience. I've had my highs, my lows, and I'm quite content, like yourself, being where I am now. Yeah. And even when the city comes back, as they say, I'm looking forward to going down and checking in with people I know and doing a show and, you know, walking around. But I feel my time there is, is definitely, uh, I've come to the, the, the last stop sign, you know, you want the squirrels in your life, you know, you want the wild so. squirrels and the owls. I think so. I'm what digging it. it. Yeah. Owl. You're barred owl. My, 
Stephen sitting on the wall right outside my house. Yeah. An incredible moment to see that for me. Yeah. And then all the squirrels are gone. You've heard this before, but it was a mad one. And I'm digging. I sit on the porch and there's a mountain called Overlook. Oh, wow. Out to the right. Yeah. And uh, at night in the summer, especially, you just hear the coyotes, you know. It's funny. I went down to the river the other morning, this morning, actually, and I was watching a swan uh, gracefully flying across the water. And I looked at that swan and I thought it's flying so close to the water. If that swan made him messed up somehow and its wing hit the water, I guarantee you it would land in such a way that I would not know it had made a mistake. But the swan would know. (laughs) Stephen, I have a number you can call. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you do, man. It's probably your number, isn't it? (laughs) Stephen, that's beautiful, man. That's that's beautiful. And yeah, there bears the question, why do swans fly so low to the water? What is that? What's that about showing off? I don't are they just showing off i don't know it's probably something to do with lift you know but it's an interesting one because we're again going to performance ourselves if we make a mistake we'll beat ourselves up but everybody in the audience is like wow that was graceful that was brilliant yeah you know yeah, so yeah, yeah we're like the swan you know That's you know and, then you, and you see other birds around the place and you're looking at them like and you can see they have a social life there's one that's a bully it'll go and chase the rest of them off and it, like these three seagulls, one sitting on top of the post, one of them diving at it, like screaming at it. The other one jumps to another post and it follows it around. Like, I don't even know what they think they're doing. Like, do they yeah. think they're doing? They're just but doing. Are they, are, when you think of it, are they any different to us in that res- regard? No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this guy's following you. You're going, I don't know if this dude's going to rob me or if he wants a cigarette or if he wants directions, but this is not looking good. And then he disappears around the corner. And next thing you turn a corner, there's another another mad one you know yeah yeah uh, they're all they're all they're all we're very similar aren't we creatures um new york new york has been incredible though uh, yeah it's really been incredible Stephen, for me and like you you said it there just before we got into the swan yeah. uh when i went to new york for, like you that was it man i had my mother had passed in 95 i stayed at home for another two years yeah but i knew straight away i just knew i was going to leave there i just knew i had to go I, and like you, I knew I had to go and I wanted to go to, to New York. I'd never been to New York and I was going there to live there mm-hmm. and I've never been. But like you, I wanted to immerse myself in one of the biggest cities in the world and just stroll for a start and go from there. Yeah. Just it's, be so, alone. So it's back to that being alone thing. Yeah. So, so it's interesting. So you, you, you left two years after your mother died. Yeah, two years after. Yeah, I, I left about two years after my father died as well. And uh, I think it was for me, like a lot of people when they finish school or whatever, they go off in their gap year or whatever they do, like and they go to Vietnam mm-hmm. and South America and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I never did that. I wanted to go traveling. So one of my things was I, I, I went to London and uh, yeah, essentially I went traveling, you know, in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But with this with building a solid foundation by doing so, what happened to me was unfortunately that I um I got there and uh, I wanted to do my own thing. But within six months of being there, I, I ended up playing with this uh, with the singer from Lamb for a couple of years. And oh, then wow. I ended up touring with Passenger for a couple of years and I lost my own train. Right there. Sorry, I wanted to ask you, Passenger, were you there? Was there a bass player called Rob? An American I, guy? No, not, no. But he must have come in right after you because when I heard you say that a while back, 
you had played with passengers like, oh, my friend Rob, he's from Indiana, New York guy, but he's in LA, but he was with Josh and Julia Stone for a few years. He yeah. was gone and yeah. then he joined Passenger. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So I was, I was with Passenger uh, 2007 for two years. So when we, when I joined the band, it was joining, it was essentially a pop band. You know, we were with IE Music, Robbie Williams had just got 80 million quid. Yeah. Same management company. We had a lot of money. We did the CM, CMJ or something in New York. The, I don't know what it was, yeah. some sort of thing. Yeah. Played in the Rockwood Music Hall, did uh, South by Southwest and did, did a lot of stuff. It was wild, you know. Um, but at the end of, towards the tail of that, Mike, Mike Rosenberg, who is now solo essentially as the main guy, he got very disillusioned with it and we decided to go busking. So we went on our busking tours around the place. And then I left that. He wanted to go to Australia. And then after that, I guess he put together another band, sort of 2010, 2011. That's, I think where Rob might have kicked in, my mate Rob, because wow. we were like, how's, how's Rob? And they're like, I think he's done with Josh and Julia Stone. They were touring the world constantly yeah. for about three years. And then he relocated to LA with his wife. And then a friend of mine was like, oh, I wouldn't see Passenger. Rob's playing bass with him now. So then I was like, oh, it's mad because there's this guy, you know, from Killarney <sighs> who played with him for a bit. I wonder if they had cross paths. A small world, not. man. Yeah. Obviously not. How bizarre. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it was, you know, on, on that note, sort of like I did feel that that took me away from doing my own thing. I, I got distracted by playing guitar for other people and stuff. Did you okay. did you ever feel that yourself with the Trinity music? No, because a lot of the music most of the music in Trinity, I would be participating in writing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I never felt that I was just coming in and, you know, doing their thing. I was still doing my thing. It was just for serving a different cause, you know? Yeah. Well, the same cause, but I was basically serving the dance. Yeah. But I had no problem with that because I was still singing songs in the show as well, my own songs. And also then for a lot of the pieces, certain dance pieces, we would be playing music that we as the band wrote. Nice. And yeah. for me, it was a nice departure from my solo gigs or my own gigs with the band in New York, whatever, when I used the band. Uh, no, I, I, I felt uh, it was easy to, to put those in their own boxes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you um, tour Ireland with Mark Geary a while ago? I did a few times. That's been wow. a while. Me I've, and Mark, about yeah. 2004, five, three, yeah. four, five, maybe. Right. We did a bunch of runs around Ireland. Incredible time. Incredible McCarthy's time. Bar and Dingle? Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. think I saw you there, man. It's just like it's coming you back to have. me. You could have. Yeah, I was with Mark all the time then. Was there another gig in Bulteens or somewhere like that? Like someone... There was one in Baltimore. There was about 20 gigs around the right. country. Man. We were flat out. Yeah. There was like, uh, you know, Half Moon, wherever in Cork and the lobby we did a few times when that yeah. was there. And we did Baltimore. There's this pub down there. And then we did Dingle, of course, McCarty's. I've done McCarty's a lot. Great the last place, time yeah. I done McCarty's, though, it has been about, it's funny, I, I have to say it's been about eight or nine years and I bought Nye Connolly with me. Me and oh, I did yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I did. I, so to answer your question, yeah, I used to run around Mark a lot back that time. Yeah. What um, what was the the strangest gig that you did in Ireland? Ooh, the strangest gig. Yeah. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, God, I, I honestly, Stephen, I don't have an answer for that right now. 
Yeah. Because that's interesting, strange. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I think part of it is those two years or whatever that we did, two or three tours of Ireland. Um, I, they were very full on and things were good for Mark at that time, as you know, with his first record. Mm-hmm. And, and me and Mark had worked together in a scratcher and kind of we had a bit of magic playing together as well, which was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Like I would open up the show, Mark would do his gig and then we do another half an hour together. But it was, it was, we were so positive and in it and it was really, people were coming out and there was a buzz Yeah. that I don't feel I had, I can't say there was any strange gig. Yeah. What about a hometown gig for him in Dublin? Hometown gig, but Mark was away in New York for a long time. And unlike you and I coming from Killarney, Mark wouldn't have known, you know, he wasn't really playing music before he left Dublin. You know, he kind of developed his whole thing in New York. Right. Yeah. So he, you know, it's different. You come from a small town. People know Stephen Hodden Killarney. Mm-hmm. He's played a show. He's playing a show upstairs in Courtney's. Mm. You know, that wasn't the case for Mark in Dublin, because as I said, I he really was not playing much before he left at all. Right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I remember um I do I definitely must have seen you because pull your socks up was definitely something you would have been playing back then. That's mad, yeah. 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 Wow. Wow. Yeah. What What's your take on recording? How do you record? Do you record vocals and guitar at the same time or not? I have recorded up until my last record, Mid-Atlantic Ghost. That was the first record. I did it here. I recorded it in the house here in the living room mm-hmm. with Jefferson, who you saw played guitar at the yeah, show the last he's night. He's a serious guitar yes. player, that guy. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, an incredible individual and as serious an engineer. Incredible. Right. Yeah. He had a few old Neumann mics, nice. two or three preamps and a laptop. And I bought him a piano player, upright bass player, and a bazooki player from Dublin called Eamon O'Leary and right. Jefferson and myself. And we recorded the album live in the room, mm. three days. Up to that point, Stephen, studios, 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 tracking guitars, come in, do the vocals. Yeah. I had never done it any other way. But the way I did the last record now, that is the way forward for me. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be. has to be. I mean, I, like any of us, I'd be honest, the only thing I was really nervous about, I had full confidence in the players because they're great players. And there was a lot of freedom within the arrangements. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I was concerned about was basically my, my pitch singing, you know, this is a recording and it's guitar and vocal live and everyone's playing. And there wasn't that great a separation. My house isn't that big, you know. Yeah. But it worked out. And that that was a nice feeling for me personally as a singer, is I was like, wow, that's all right. And that's life. Mm. There is no going in, retapping those lines. It's 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 done. How wonderful, isn't it, to do that? Like yeah, I, that I, was a very good feeling. I consider uh the voice and the guitar to be one instrument, you know, when you're playing it. So I, I found it very hard to record voice and guitar separately. Uh, I've done that though. It's, it seems to be something that producers like to do. They like to separate the elements because they probably mm-hmm. sound better in isolation, but sure. you're talking about your vocal inflections, your tuning and stuff. When you're performing in a room with a lot of other people, if it goes out of tune, it isn't out of tune with the whole, it might be out of tune to a tuning meter, but to the whole, right. it's not out of tune. It's organic. It's real. I agree. And I'm totally and I've been listening to you, as I said, through the podcast, and I love that you you have that will about you going, no, it has to be real. Mm. It has to feel right 
coming from me. I I want to be believed here, you know, mm. and I agree with you totally. Mm. I feel the reason why the separation mo- mostly is because an engineer can spend 10 hours on that acoustic guitar and have your vocal to the side. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I mixed my last record with a guy, he runs Stephen Van Zandt's studio. Uh-huh. You know, Stephen Van Zandt who plays with Springsteen, he's got a studio. From my mate the, runs, yeah, yeah. yeah, he runs his studio. And I went down to him and we mixed that record. He's like, well, you've got three microphones up here, four. And he said, uh, yeah, I, I, we should be able to mix this within two days. And we did. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was done in two days. Because you know yourself, then they isolate the vocal and then they're trying all these different EQs on the vocal. Part to me is your right hand is your rhythm. Yeah. If you're a right-handed player, yeah. if you're left-handed, your left hand is. But to me, that rhythm is connected to your voice, to your spine. It's all part. So your right hand is going to respond to a voicing mm-hmm. in your in your lyric mm-hmm. sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. You can't get that if you don't have them together. That's all I know. No, you can't. You're forever chasing it. Like you could do a demo like with just an iPhone recorder, like voice and guitar. It'll sound infinitely better than the studio version, which is sterile. Uh, And and, and the vocal inflections are not in time or in, in, in symbiosis with your guitar playing, which is then connected to your soul and your higher purpose of why you're saying and how you're saying what you're saying. Right. So... I mean, I'm sure from your experience, how was it for you? Like, whether you recorded with Passenger? But I know you've, I know that you're a, a, a well advanced guitar player. I've seen you play, you know, on video, and I know it that especially with the pro levels you have worked on in the past. Well, but like, have you been called into studios? I've never really done any of that. But have you gone into studios and they're like, hey, Stephen, so throw on the headphones, <sighs> guitar, go? I, I have. It's not my thing. I am idiosyncratic would be a word that's used to describe Lee. Okay. Much like yourself when you're playing with others, they're like, but we like the way that we never know what's coming. I'm very much in the moment. I live in the moment. Um, I, I've i tried to do studio work. I'm not bang on timing wise. I, I, I speed up and I slow down according to the words I'm singing. I'm not metronomic. I'm human. Okay. You know what I mean? But I'm saying when that's required, I'm saying I can do it. Yeah, I don't read music though. I can do it. I can go into a studio and do that. Yeah, yeah. I've been called in to do that. I've done like film soundtracks and stuff where I've been called in, but it's not natural to me to be that way. You know. So fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and there is, there's millions, not millions, but like that, I've utilized them on, on most of my records. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Try Ryan Adams or Jesse Malin's keyboard player. He's in New Jersey. He might come in. Yeah. Bob yeah. I'm like, okay, can you just, the cello? I'm like, can you write out the piano part? Because we're going to, I've only four hours to cut this in the studio. Mm-hmm. And these guys will come in and they're top cats, man. Mm. Brilliant. Now, I'm not expecting you to put blood on the fucking top of the piano, you know? Mm. I'm just looking for you to play the part perfectly. Mm-hmm. And just as we're saying, where you and I are coming from is a very different approach to the recording. But yeah. I have full regard and respect for those guys. And yeah. they work, and they work a lot. And I'm like, fair play to you, you know? I recommend that guy. He comes in and he'll nail it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've carried a spanner to throw into the works of many people I've played with <clears throat> because I'm a big proponent of um, playing live together and uh, particularly singing and playing at the same time. So Passenger, when I was with Passenger, everything they did was separated, you know. But as mm-hmm. we got to playing over the couple of years we played together, we began uh, going down the road of encouraging him to sort of like sing and play at the same time. Let's go busk on the street. You don't need a metronome. 
and now he's carrying that forwards himself because so, i think that he's right. a singer songwriter and, and, and he needed that connection what sold the deal was when we were busking we do our busking tours we play on the street we'd be selling a record that was overproduced and uh people who would see us playing would buy the record expecting to hear what they heard on the street they were disappointed right. inevitably because you're not getting that right right you're selling no. connection authenticity yeah. reality yeah. well i mean then now you're verging into the territory of territory of isn't a, a good song and a complete song it's got to stand up with the acoustic guitar and the voice yeah. everything else is yeah. paint on the palette you know yeah everything else is paint on the palette and that's an example of that there you are busking on the street no pa maybe nothing maybe a pa i don't know but people buy the record and it's shiny and new yeah. and it's sparkling and it's compressed and it's huge and beautiful mm. but they're going god i wish it would sound or i could hear the way they did that song on the street mm. so well yeah. that's what the records that we like from the 70s and that or john martin whatever that's all done like that that's a real these are real moments so when you recorded your last record mid-atlantic ghost is that the name of the record mm -hmm. yeah when you did that you were basically capturing a moment in time about people with people bonding over your ideas you know for, for sure Stephen. and yeah. because that was my first experience doing that you can hear it like like when people go what's your favorite like i'm sure they go to you at gigs you might have a bunch of cds down the table and they're like which is the best one <laughs> like what a, what a silly question yeah now you're asking the guy who made them. I don't really know, man, if any of them are any good. I hate the <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? But that's my latest one. But now I can say just the experience and memory I have of tracking that. We were recording, we were recording music when we felt like it here. And we only had the few days. We would sit by the campfire. We would cook some food. Mm -hmm. And then one of the lads would go, hey, lads, I, I think I'm up for having a go at that track tonight should we try it and i'm like oh yeah all right let's go so it was very relaxed and i think it comes out in the recording for me personally mm -hmm. you know it comes out and it it if anything it's a very honest recording and there's maybe three overdubs you know there You're is capturing a moment overdubs. it's it's very yeah. special to be able to give someone that moment yeah. Um, looking at one of my favorite irish records is uh, for the birds by the frames and i think that mm -hmm. i think that there are so many uh, sonic maladies and mistakes in there that and I, I absolutely love them all. I've come to know all the inflection in Glenn's voice and yeah. the bits and pieces that are wrong make the record so right because they're authentic moments in time as well, you know. They did that in Chicago, wasn't it? With Steve With Albini, Albini, I think, yeah. yeah. So uh, Glenn, I mean, there's there's a a man in our camp, you know, and solidly has his foot in our camp and always will and always has. Good friend mm. of mine, you know. Yeah. And we've done a lot of shows together and he's, he's one of the most man. generous yeah. people with a stage. You know, I've played with him at iconic venues yeah. around this country in the States, you know, and he's whether I'm opening up the show or Glenn will have you up for a song. And it's pretty incredible. He's a, he's a very giving individual and works extremely hard. Mm -hmm. He's put in the work to deserve it, you know? Yeah. No matter how much what potentially could be persona changing events he hasn't lost the sense of himself no 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 he hasn't lost the run of it says you but it's that this is this is maybe an irish thing i mean irish singer songwriters are rough and raw around the edges and very real you know this is this was something that's very apparent to me being in england that a lot of the songwriting is very gentle and a lot of performances are very soft around the edges and there's something guttural and raw about the irish songwriters what is that why repression? is that suppression repression? 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as artistically, we're raw, you know? We are very raw. And I don't think it's conscious to to be willing to bear that on a stage. I think it's just the way it is. Mm. Look at Luke Kelly, you know? Mm -hmm. That man, when he he plied his trade largely in England, and he, he mustered his way in, listening, getting those songs from all the folk clubs around that country. And Paul Simon done his time in England, you know what I mean? Re sitting at a railway station waiting for a train my destination i mean the english folk tradition had a huge bearing on the irish tradition you know as well yeah you know yeah. and they were the gigs if anything they were the place england was the place to go and ply the trade and yeah and there was a lot more gigs so i think there's just a rawness to the irish because on unwillingly it's not overthought that's actually pop music the pop music yes even in ireland of course it's overproduced and overthought because there's a lot of money at stake before they even hit a stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's as international. For, as for our comrades and the likes of Glenn and Damien and all the all the lads, you know, they've been playing their trade from the street to the, yeah, you know, to the Royal Albert Hall. And the truth is, it's an honor, and they're grateful. And at the end of the day, it's still a microphone and a song, mm -hmm. and it happens to be at the Royal Albert Hall tonight. Yeah. Do you think um, uh, success? is the creation and the capturing the presentation and the, the fulfillment of a good song and a good recording of a good song no i think success is what you understand it to be it whatever it takes to bring you up to an honest sense of satisfaction with your own offerings yeah that to me is success the work the body of work is success how many yeah. records have you made like me um yeah. four i think four right i've made four records and an ep right. and what have you but you've done the passenger thing you've played in london with all different kinds of settings and people that's all success man that's that to me is it mm. the one thing neither of us are i'm aware of is rich that's for or, sure rich or, or money wise or, or wealthy from from music yeah as you say yourself it'd be nice to get paid somewhat half decently for what we offer and do um, and that's a constant struggle for the likes of us. But, you know, this is what we do. You know what I mean? This is what we do. We we need, some people need to do the garden. Some people need to just pick up the guitar and try to express something. So to me, that's the beginning and the root of it all. As long as I have that, the gigs are the gigs and the tours are the tours whenever they come back. But I just feel grateful for the burden, as you call it as well. The wonderful burden. Yeah. The wonderful burden. Yeah. It's like, what else would I be doing? I would be con gone completely nuts if I wasn't going nuts over this page. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think for me, as long as the songs keep coming, keep calling me, I will be a conduit for yeah. them. For the I like, I'll still meet Glenn on that note, you know, in New York or wherever. And we'll meet up and he'll come in to me or whatever three or four o'clock in the morning. He, Brian, I have, have you anything? I'm like, yeah, I've been working on this. Have a listen. And he'll do the same. And yeah. I'm talking today. He will yeah. still come in and go, check this out. What do you think it is? Do, do, do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's very pure and a very honest and, and, and delicate thing for some, but I think it's healthy to kind of bear yourself like that, no matter what level you're at. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like when, do, when does a songwriter have it? When does oh. a guy go, oh, he has it? 
Yeah. Glenn has it. He has what? He has a good career and he's writing good songs and always trying to write a better song. Mm -hmm. No different to you. You are always trying to write mm -hmm. a better song, something that's true and honest and that you can get behind. Mm -hmm. You know? Very well said. I think it, Mike Passenger has the same sort of uh, thing that you'll sit down and he go, oh, "This is a this is a new song. Do you want to hear this?" And this this sharing this this being in a place to be able to do so. I miss that. I don't I don't have that in my life. Um, I'm starting to develop it now, but it's it's something I hope to be able to do to be able to meet up and to share ideas with someone like yourself as well. You know, if mm -hmm. you ever want to sit down yeah. and just like because you 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 just I don't know that that. I had this thing, I was trying to explain it. I don't know if I explained it. Does a song really exist until you've played it? You know, does it like, because it's jammed up inside you, isn't it? But as soon as you start to express it, it gets its own wings and then it becomes something else. And you can see its potential, which yeah. is what the scratcher sessions brings to the performers and to yourself as well, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Mm. Um, I think so. And that isn't that the, the end goal is just to produce something you can you know, it brings well something up inside of you. And, and it's okay, like my thing with the sharing, and I don't do that often, don't get me wrong, Stephen, mm -hmm. very rarely and with very few people. And that has to do with ego as well, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, but it was a very natural process for someone like Glenn. It just happened and it became okay. It mm -hmm. wasn't planned. You know, it wasn't, well, I don't really care what you, of course I care what you think. And I've sang songs and I'd be like, yeah, man, I'm really happy with that, but what do you think of the bridge? Have you any up? I was going to say, I'm not sure, man. I thought you were going too far off the case there. Mm -hmm. Or you went to a minor and I think you should, you know, it's that kind of stuff. But yeah. to me, it's just being open and going, yeah, the reason I'm doing this is for my own benefit. Yeah. It's not to show off to you a song or get validation. It's maybe because of your expertise and my trust in what you do and your ability to put pen to paper. Mm-hmm. It might help the song. Mm. It's about, it's about the, song. the song. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah. it's about that song. It's about that thing. Isn't it a wonderful feeling when you know a song is finished? Yes. How do you know when a song is finished? You just, I, I, how do you know? You just know. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny? Yeah. Enough said, basically. You finish playing it the first it, time and you're like, yeah. 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 Yeah, you don't feel the need to mess around with it anymore. It's a weird one. I couldn't really explain the what's and why's, but you just know. That, Stephen, the first time through writing, when you actually, yourself in that room, start that song and actually go right through to all you've written and all the melody and everything. That first time to me, that is the most magic time for me as yeah. a songwriter. Yeah. It's that very moment where I finished singing it for the first time and I was happy going, yeah, right on. That feels good. Yeah. You know, playing out is a joy and you're hoping people will grab onto it. But the actual writing and playing it for the first time, which is usually on your own in your room or in a room, to me is the, the is kind of large part of the way I do this. Yeah. Still. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, uh, do you fancy playing a song at all now? Are you in that Whoa. frame of mind? Oh, dear. Just happened to have a guitar there. Look at that. <laughs> Amazing. Can you hear that? I can.
This is uh, something I just wrote, Stephen, over Christmas. Oh, nice. This is its first airing, actually. Wow. There you go. Another one passed me by. Hold your head, close your eye. Another year, my surprise. Me, I must close and walk those streets that everybody knows. And the street sweeper, he's my timekeeper. I'll get home, I suppose. I got paid for what I've done, and I'm waiting on the sun. It came on true. I heard that your daddy he died too. And time takes, and how it breaks so many hearts in two. I sing this song for you. It's the least that I can do. And the new year's coming through. Uh, thank you so much, man, for playing that. You're very that, welcome, Stephen. That, that's that, that's a first out the gate right there. What a moment. Is what it is, right? Thank you. Thank you for the ask. Oh man. I, I, I feel like because it's it's um it's this shivers down the back, and especially because it's the first time you've played it as well. It's even more like mm. phenomenal to hear it, and you lose yourself in the song. There's always that first performance you like, you get lost in it, don't you? Yeah, for you, sure. It's yes. so it's so new to you. It's just coming in, or should I say, it's just going out. Just going out, and what it lovely. feels good. And thank you. Lovely yeah. song, man. Brandon. Sorry about the sound, all you heavy tech heads out there. Oh yeah, if that didn't yeah. sound. <laughs> <laughs> man, it I, it was it was for me. Screw the rest of you. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. But look, thank you so much for coming and doing this, Brendan. I really, really appreciate it, man. I'm, I'm sure we could keep chatting and stuff, and we should probably do another one down the line. Um, yeah. In 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 the meantime, I would like to invite you to come and join us. All of, all of the pre, all of the people who've been on the podcast just for a hangout and play some songs at some point in the near future. I would if love you're that. A game. I would please just send the invite on, Stephen, and I would gladly show up and take a chair. You know. Oh, amazing, man! I'm going to set that up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to set that up and get back to you about that. I love it. Awesome, dude. Well, look, what a pleasure to meet you, man. Um, take care. Mind yourself. I'll be in touch very soon. Sounds good, Stephen. Cheers, man. See you, brother. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Well, how brilliant 
was that? How much crack was that? I had a real laugh with Brendan. I had, I have to say, I think I've made a new friend there. Um, and I know you could probably hear us talking about having our gathering where I invite the songwriters who've been on the podcast and the other creatives to hang out. And we're going to do that. I am firmly committed to doing that. And I want you to come along as well. And I want you to leave a comment. Tell us what you thought of the chat. Say hello. Spread the word. And, and most importantly, I want you to feel driven to be creative even if you stick two words together and look at them and they make you feel a certain way that's creativity we all have creativity in us everyone even if you cannot carry a note you can carry some part of your heart to something i know you can do it and i I just want these podcasts to inspire you to be creative as well Um, i'd like to give my special thanks to brendan o'shea coming on this one Uh, i think we're going to be talking again soon and like i said we'll be playing uh, and hanging out in the new world the post this moment um in the meantime yeah check out the links on the bottom of this page there's links to brendan's music and everything else that he's doing and i wish you a wonderful creative journey for yourselves thanks again for tapping the floor